Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome everybody to this week's episode. I've just done a smoothie shimmy in front of B. Already laughing. We're we're both just like shimmying, and none of you can see it, but that's how excited we are to be here in your ears, in your cars, on your walk. Yeah, wherever you are. Give us a actually, if you're listening right now by yourself, give us a little booby shimmy. You know, like where you kind of shake your boozies side to side where they feel like they could just like do damage and knock something out wow yeah. and there is that there has been no other moment in my life except for right now that I felt more like my mother <laughs> look at that well oh, but yeah. and also if you're a bloke if you're a bloke listening uh, there's a lot of oh, do the raging rhino do the raging rhino no wait I'm just gonna say Oh, the raging rhino is so fun. I have massive penis envy. I've always wanted, like, if if I ever have penis envy, it's that. Like, the raging rhino, must it must feel so good. <laughs> Just like you feel now, giving your, your buzzies a little jiggle. But, you know, you might have buzzies as a man. That's okay. Give them a jiggle. It feels quite liberating. Okay. Good, really? good start. This is a good, good start. start. Yeah. Well, hmm. Welcome, everybody, to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast for today. And B and I are here with you. We are going to do an episode on antenatal vaginal examinations and stretch and sweep. So we're basically talking about maybe all the reasons someone might want to put their fingers in your vagina during your pregnancy and if any of those reasons are good ones or not. In a clinical setting, not in a sexual setting, but in a total clinical by your care provider. Because other people might want to put their fingers in your vagina in your pregnancy. Correct. That's completely a different topic. We're in silly season. Just so you all are aware, Mel and I are having the most monstrous weeks of our lives, both of us in our personal, in our our business lives. We're both doing crazy things. Mm -hmm. uh, And that typically sends me into a bit of a delirious state. So hopefully this podcast will make sense today. (laughs) I think we're just using this moment of recording in our day is a little bit of a release for the fact that yeah the rest of the day has been chaotic Mm. and and that's great so you know that's what we're going to talk about is any clinician putting their fingers in your vagina during your pregnancy or and we're also going to talk about the topic of stretch and sweep while we discuss today so as always there'll be plenty of research and you know this is something you can come to if your practitioner says to you I'd like to do a vaginal examination and you are not currently in labor, you're still pregnant, then this might be an episode for you to listen to as you decide if you're willing to have that done or not. And if you are listening to it and you know people that are pregnant, I really encourage you to bring people to this episode before they need it because this is something that often hits people in an appointment without them expecting and so when I say hip, what I mean is it's often offered to people um, during an appointment. And just I want to say first and foremost, if this has happened to you and you're here to listen for hopefully some healing time and some understanding about what happened to you, I really want to send you so much love if this was done to you without your consent. Because this, And this is why I want people to listen to this before they need to, because what often happens is what I'm hearing more and more is, well, they just said, we're going to do a vaginal examination today. And then all of a sudden I was having a stretch and sweep and I didn't even know that it was going to lead to that. So really understanding that there is a difference between a vaginal examination and a stretch and sweep understanding what those differences are and understanding why we do them. So you can ask those questions and really make it clear around your expectations of somebody entering your sacred space. And I really want to stress that our pelvic bowl is incredibly sacred. So much of what we do in our modern life has taken that away, but somebody is entering your body. They're actually going inside your body. And if that is done without care, and without tunement to you and deep respect, then um, 
it shouldn't be done, really. It shouldn't be done without those things. It's an incredibly personal thing. Yeah, and I was just, you know, as I was preparing for this episode, I was trying to rack my brain as to reasons why women would be offered this type of approach to care. I could only think of one or two reasons why a woman would invite this. And I was thinking about pelvic floor physiotherapy, so where women during their pregnancy need some kind of pelvic floor physiotherapy or an assessment for something like a prolapse or like what you do be with pelvic floor release. Yeah, and I actually really want to differentiate that that's very different from what we're probably going to talk about. So I feel like what we're talking about today is more that clinical setting by a maternity care provider. And I think when people really want it, it it's actually, a, it's a it's a great thing because you're meeting a need of what the person who is pregnant has. But really what I see more and more is that this is part of the conveyor belt, the birth conveyor belt. Um, it's part of the process and um, the, the process of bed management, really. It's trying to, and I'm seeing the vaginal examinations, especially done earlier and earlier. It's just another tick box of, let's see what your cervix is doing. So then we can manage your time with us. So therefore we can manage everybody's time with us. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, what I'm talking about is managing the amount of people that come into our hospital systems and ensuring that we have enough staff for them and enough beds for them. And a vaginal examination has very much become part of that process because we never used to do it. We didn't do it the amount of times we're doing it now. But- yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm wondering, cause I'm a private midwife. I do not remember the last time I ever needed to do a vaginal exam on a pregnant woman who wasn't in labor because you don't manage beds and you don't manage staff in the way that a hospital would so in what context like I'm curious because I I like I'm not I don't have my finger exactly on the pulse of what hospitals do just because I'm way out of it now so I know what I do but what reasons have you heard that women are being offered vaginal examinations when they're not even in labor so it's it feels like it's becoming routine care um, especially in private obstetrics and in many big public systems. And midwives might not agree with me on that. And again, I'm being generalised. What I'm saying here may not happen in your hospital. And this is where, as a person who's pregnant, it's a really good idea to ask maybe earlier in the piece or earlier in your pregnancy, hey, what what do you what do you do at the end of pregnancy? What do end of pregnancy appointments look like? But what I'm seeing more and more is around that 38 to 39 week mark. There is the system of booking you in for the process of booking you in for an induction begins, and it never used to be that way. The discussion of induction now it's becoming a massive logistical issue, and people are getting booked in by admin people. You know, put you into the system, and then the admin will call you when there's a space, and they leave their appointment like what what just happened and it's a lot of that what just happened what are they hoping to find it on like well they're using it as a predictive value predictive tool on what you will need for induction so let's just see what your cervix is doing and so what we used to do is you would be booked for an induction you would come in and we would do the examination then in order to determine what you needed in terms of what you were offered in terms of induction so If your cervix is long and closed, the way your induction is started is very different to if your cervix is opened, for example, and starting to dilate. So the vaginal examination was done there and there, and it was seen as part of labor care because the induction would start soon after. Now what I'm hearing and seeing more and more is that it is being done in antenatal clinic and then the method of induction is being planned for from that that point. From 39 weeks. 38, 39, 40, it depends. But yeah, I'm so I'm seeing a lot of antenatal vaginal examinations, and then they can lead to either stretch and sweeps that have been consented for or not consented for. And so what that looks like is I'm just going to do a vaginal examination to see what your cervix is doing. And you go, oh, okay, because the person in the hierarchy is offering you something and you therefore think it's necessary because we've become acclimatized to handing our bodies and babies over to the power, which is 
our care providers and then they do it and they go, oh, I'm just, you know, going to do a stretch and sweep while I'm here or they do a stretch and sweep and you're like, oh, that hurts. Oh, yeah, I'm just doing a stretch and sweep or they tell you after the fact, oh, I did a stretch and sweep and this happened. Mm-hmm. And some people are okay with that and other people feel incredibly violated. Mm-hmm. And what often happens here is in people, uh, their beautiful instincts are raising red flags and saying, this doesn't feel good, say stop. But you have somebody who is in culturally a power of position standing over the top of you with their fingers in your vagina. It's not easy to say no to that and it puts you in a very vulnerable situation, which we know obstetric violence, a lot of obstetric violence is linked to vaginal examinations. And I would say if we really looked at the data, that would extend to the antenatal period as well. Mm-hmm. Because so often... We don't have power. You think about what happens to that space medically prior to birth. If you've had pap smears or any kind of investigations around infertility, it's often expert knows best and a total disconnection from your body. And that's where trauma happens because the mind and body are disconnected and people feel that they have no voice over their body. And because of that power imbalance. So, yeah, it's I see it as a step in the process to booking an induction. Um, And it feels like it's happening earlier and earlier and earlier. Mm. Well, I did a stack of reading to prepare for this episode. And, you know, if you're talking about how they're using it as a predictive, a possible predictive tool for when you might go into labour, then I did find papers on that. They've actually researched this. Can we possibly predict when women will go into labour? Because the whole maternity care system is interested in reducing the level of uncertainty. And if you could have a tool that would be could accurately tell you how long it might be before each woman might go into labor, that's a very valuable. Now, unfortunately, they have not found any tool, ultrasound or not, whether or not you check a cert, someone's cervix at 38, 39, 40, 41 weeks of when they're going to go into labor. So If someone's saying to you, look, I can check your cervix to let you know how much longer you've got or if you're getting close to going into labor, the research doesn't show that we can currently accurately predict when you might go into labor or what your cervix is going to do when you do go into labor. So yeah, it doesn't predict it, right? Like, yeah, your cervix was not dilated and then it started to dilate and you had a baby and it's exactly the same in labor. A vaginal examination does not predict the length of your labor or how your labor is going to go at all. All it does is tell us what is happening right then and there with your cervix. That's it. And this is the same. Like all I see with vaginal examinations is a massive mental and emotional load, right? So a mental and emotional load in antenatal because it's what we make it mean, right? What do we make it mean that I'm one centimeter? What do I make it mean that I'm three centimeters? What do I make it mean that my cervix is posterior? It's the it's the spiral of thoughts. Yeah. And that, you know, if the emotional well-being of a pregnant person was at the center of our care, we would closely monitor all that we did and our outcomes would be so much better. You know, we know there is so much research that talks about the emotional well-being of the person who's pregnant and the flow-on effect on her labor and birth outcomes and the postpartum period. But it's not. It's not the center of our care. When do you ever get asked, how are you feeling? How's your body feeling? All our focus is on the procedures, right? Do you need someone to put their fingers inside your vagina to tell you whether you're going to have a baby or not? Spoiler alert, you're going to have a baby. Extra big spoiler alert. We can't predict when that's going to happen. And that is part of the vulnerability. It's part of the process. Birth is a feelings event. It's not a predictable, planned, set out perfectly event. Yeah. The body event and the body needs to feel and uncertainty is part of that. I'm sorry if you want to control it and you want a quick fix. There isn't one. And, you know, this is just, it's just another thing that that takes the power away from a pregnant person and our internal authority. You are the biggest expert of your body. Nobody else, no machine, no person knows your body like you do. They haven't lived in it. Mm. Right. Let let you be the be the expert. We're just the guides. Yeah. And I think what I got out of all the research that I was reading too is that there's really 
no beneficial clinical reason why anyone should be offering you vaginal examination to check your cervix or put their fingers inside your vagina. Really, maybe some of the research was in support of 39 weeks, but we'll talk about that. But Mm. really, any time in your pregnancy where you're not already planning an induction, there's no evidence to support stretch and sweeps before then for any other reason. Uh, So some practitioners might tell you that they could predict what your cervix is going to do next by checking it. Not true if you look at the research. Fake news. Fake news. Um, And I mean, and there are some, so there was even some research which talked about using vaginal examinations to predict preterm birth. So again, spoiler alert, you can't predict preterm birth. Um, You can measure someone's cervix on ultrasound. So there are some circumstances where if you have an ultrasound and the sonographer or the report shows that you have a short cervix or that there's funneling funneling in your cervix, so your cervix is actually not holding together as it should through your pregnancy, that is a medical concern that could put you into preterm labor. Uh, There are women who struggle with this, but Doing a vaginal exam cannot diagnose it and it's actually potentially detrimental to have a vaginal exam if you've got a short or funneling cervix. So even that, um, although they've tried to use vaginal examinations to predict preterm birth, it didn't work, you couldn't predict it, uh, then that's a whole different thing. You know, basically I don't think there's any good research or reason why anyone should offer you a vaginal exam before 39 weeks. And then I'm also going to later talk about the issue of stretch and sweeps from 39 weeks. So, I mean, maybe we can move on. Let's talk about stretch and Mm. sweeps. I do want to say here before we do, there's never a right or wrong for everyone, just what's right for you. And so if it feels right for you, go ahead and accept it. Of course, accept anything or decline anything that feels right for you. But what I want to offer here is maybe checking in with yourself and asking why you're wanting this and why you're why you feel the need to have it Mm. and really really trying to define that what are you trying what need are you trying to meet here is it a need for extra connection extra information or a need to control knowing that there's no right or wrong but just using these questions as a tool to understand yourself a little bit better and maybe see if there are other ways that this need can be met so i just want to offer you that if it yeah. feels good go for it I, that is a good reason a good reason is i feel like i need it and i feel like it's going to help me great but now let's look at the research Totally. And exactly. Obviously, always your preference trumps any research, any clinical reasoning, anything else. You know, women are allowed to choose anything they want for their own reasons because it's your body. What I'm suggesting is not appropriate is if your clinician starts to offer you these things and then you're invited to make to make a decision based on their agenda for your pregnancy, I think that's unfair. I don't even think clinicians should be offering this as an option to women unless women bring it to them first. So that's just my caveat about that. Of course, it's always women's choice, but I think it would be irresponsible for a healthcare provider to offer a vaginal exam before 39 weeks just as a routine check or to assume some kind of predictive power over what the woman's body is going to do. And I think what would be really responsible, and I really encourage care providers who are listening to this, is to actually be honest with people. And so rather than trying to claim that we can do things that we can't or that research supports things that it doesn't, be super honest. You're birthing in a really busy hospital that is short-staffed with burnout and bed management issues. And so we would like to do this because it's going to help us. Is that okay for you? And you may be totally happy with that. Yeah. You may not be, but I would like to see that. I'd like to see more transparency and honesty of, you know what, this is a system we're working in and it sucks and we're sorry. And we don't want it to be this way either. You know, that kind of language and narrative, I think would shift birth trauma massively. Just open honesty. Hey, we don't want to do it either. We're being asked to do it because of these reasons. Is it okay for you? And again, you don't have to feel pity 
And need to people please here. Never, ever is there a time where you need to people please in your life, but especially around pregnancy and birth and postpartum. Mm-hmm. Make a decision that's right for you and pleases you over anyone else. But a little bit of honesty and transparency, I think, would go a really long way. And maybe then people would feel better about those kind of procedures happening to them. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I have, and and this is off topic, but I think an important off topic, we're just going to take a little bit of a left turn for a second about this transparency about the system. Because I once witnessed this happen not long ago for a client of mine. We had to attend hospital at 32 weeks for a pretty big complication. The woman wanted a bit more time in the day and maybe to start whatever procedure needed to happen much later in the day rather than at the beginning of the day. And the doctor walked in and basically said, I get that you want to wait. I understand why you would want to wait. And unfortunately, the doctor kind of yelled it at the woman, so it was very traumatic. Um, I get that you want to wait, but I've got a list of eight other people waiting. There is not going to be experienced staff here after 5 o'clock. If we wait till the afternoon, you're not going to have a staff specialist in pediatrics. You're not going to have this, this, and this. I'm going to be tired. You might not have me. And so the whole clinical reasoning for why we needed to start things for her early were literally a list of limitations of the system. And although, and that was comforting to the woman in a sense of like, we're not currently in an emergency, but the only way I'm going to get the care that they want to give me is at 11 o'clock and not four o'clock. I mean, it was traumatic for the woman. I think it was the approach that the doctor had taken, but it was the delivery and the tone, the delivery, and, which just shows where they're at, right? And I really want to offer this too. Please see people's behaviour as a beautiful explanation of where they're at. It's got nothing to do with you. What I'm hearing there is you've got a super stressed doctor who's actually probably filled with fear and wanting the best for this person, but lacking the skills to be able to communicate that in a safe, safe way. Totally. Yeah. All right. We're coming back on the road now. Yeah. So, okay. We're going to strapped in. I'm strapped in. Strap in B. Mouth. You got a mouthful of food. Very good. You're all prepped. Now I want to start right from the beginning. For those of you who are not care providers and you might be pregnant for the first time and hearing about this stretch and sweep and what are they talking about? Um, Let's, let's describe it for you. So a stretch and sweep is essentially a clinician putting two fingers inside your vagina and their aim is to find your cervix, which is attached to your uterus. In pregnancy, your cervix is uh, clamped shut like a little kind of funnel and it can be anywhere from sort of two to five centimetres long and uh, soft, well, firm, firm in a little kind of tube. And it's yeah. Can I just give a really good resource here? You have to link it into the files. There is a website called My Beautiful Cervix. And if you've never seen it as a care provider or a person who's pregnant, please jump onto the website because it'll really help you to understand what we're talking about. It's actually photos of people's cervix Yeah, through speculums. It's a really, really cool resource. I mean, I I think things like that are cool (laughs) and biased, but it's a cool resource and you go, oh, that's what my cervix looks like. Cool. So that's what they're looking for. They're trying to find your cervix. And then what they'll do is they'll try and admit either one or two fingers into the middle of your cervix, which might look like a little dimple, or your cervix could be a little bit open. And the idea- Can I give an analogy here? Yes. I want you to imagine a mandarin, and I want you to imagine where the little, what is it, like the part that attaches to the tree, how it dimples in. I want you to imagine that bit, right, like where the stick the stem comes out. No, and the then I want you to know, comes out of the bottom of a, of a mandarin. You poke your finger through the bum of a mandarin. Okay, so let's go through the mandarin's anus here. Yes, please. And you, so stick your finger in there. And then what Mel's about to explain is between the skin and the actual mandarin itself. I'm going yes. to do a reel on it on Instagram when this post comes out. So check out my Instagram page page for it. Yes, you'll get a visual. So essentially, if we go with B's analogy, is we're trying to, the, your clinician is trying to put their finger in through your cervix. So this is why it's not a good idea much earlier, is that your cervix might actually not be able to be open enough for someone to get their finger into, which means a stretch and sweep isn't entirely possible. So 
it's dependent on the provider being able to get to your cervix where often your cervix is at the back earlier in your pregnancy. And then the cervix has to be dilated enough to accommodate a single finger at the very least. Can I say something here? Yeah. Often when people are doing these examinations on you, especially if you're like 38, 39 weeks, if your cervix is at the back, it can be tricky for them to find. And so what can help is if your pelvis is tilted. And ways care providers may ask you to do that is to make fists and put them underneath your bum. Please don't ever do that. Firstly, it's deeply uncomfortable. Secondly, it's incredibly vulnerable. You can ask them to get a towel instead. And I know there's beautiful care providers out there who do this routinely. They just get a towel to support you better and make and make the vaginal examination a lot easier. And I just want to offer this. If you're going in for a vaginal examination to say, hey, I've heard that if I put a towel under my pelvis, it'll make this a little bit easier and more comfortable. Can we please do that from the start? Because there's nothing worse than someone having their fingers inside your vagina and then trying to put the towel underneath. And that's often when they'll invite you to put your fists under. Don't put your fists under. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. It's a real power imbalance. Get them to use a towel. So it's a towel under the sacrum and and it tilts the pelvis and it helps us to find the cervix a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. So then, yes. So then they're trying to find your cervix wherever it is. If they find your cervix and your cervix is not open enough to put one finger in, sometimes the practitioner will still persist with doing, it won't be a stretch and sweep, but it'll be like a cervical massage with the intention of helping your cervix ripen. But the idea is if your cervix is open enough to at least get one finger in, they're going to put their finger through your cervix and then they'll be touching the membrane. So if we think about the anatomy here, there's a two-layered membrane, amnion and chorion, that are quite thin and see-through. If you imagine kind of two layers of glad wrap or plastic wrap, and then that will have, which contains your baby and the amniotic fluid. Now that's kind of, that's attached to the inside of your uterus and to your cervix. And the idea behind a stretch and sweep, if we're imagining now you're putting your finger through the bum of a mandarin and you'd be separating the skin from the mandarin, just like if you were going to separate the membranes, the amnion and the chorion, these glad wrappy layers, from the uterus and the cervix. So you're trying to shear them away. Uh, So there is a level of discomfort that the woman will experience, but this can be a lot less if the woman, if you've explained to the woman what the process of a stretch and sweep is, and you've explained the anatomy and what you're actually trying to do, and they're comfortable with the rolled towel and they're warm and they're feeling safe, this is going to be a lot less painful. So, But for a woman who doesn't know what's happening, this is bizarre and it's not informed consent. If they don't understand the procedure that you're doing, you've done a really bad job at informing the woman and she hasn't consented to what you've actually decided to do. So. There can be blood associated with this afterwards. Women have experienced some bleeding. And because the practitioner is so close to the amniotic sac and the chorionic sac, um, they can accidentally break your waters. But the idea, I guess the reason that they believe this works is that sweeping the membranes and separating them from the uterus and the cervix releases prostaglandins uh, and can help with ripening of the cervix and triggering off of labor that's the theory which Uh, is still an external authority telling your body and your baby that it's time to labor when it hasn't yet said it's ready to hmm. it's still a type of induction right because it's saying hey hurry up and do something and your body and baby have said well for whatever unknown reason, well, for whatever reason that is unknown to you, we're not ready yet. Yeah. And the reason, and look, I was really disappointed with the research on this because honestly, it's, I mean, the research is good. There's some good information. But what upsets me is that here in Australia and a lot of other countries, if you're listening from America and the UK and New Zealand, you'll be nodding your head anyway. You know, our induction rates here in Australia, 40% of women, are being induced, their labors are being induced. And 
stretch and sweep is advertised as an opportunity to avoid induction because the research does say that if you have a stretch and sweep somewhere beyond 39 weeks of your pregnancy, that your pregnancy is likely to go shorter, statistically speaking, in the big group, if you have a look at that. And if you have it at 41 weeks, you are less likely to need an induction for being beyond 41 weeks. The problem is, is that we're offering women an intervention in order to avoid an intervention that we invented and put there as a barrier to women. So, oh, look, you know, you don't, you want to avoid induction at 40 weeks and 10 days. So if we give you a stretch and sweep, we can save you from the induction that we put there ourselves. It's kind of like creating a problem and then offering the solution. It's all intervention, you know, and we're intervening in order to avoid an intervention that most women don't need in the first place. So, you know, although yes, a stretch and sweep statistically can reduce the length of your pregnancy and it's relatively safe. Like there hasn't been a lot of sort of dangers recorded about it. So it's, you know, it's a low cost, relatively safe, uh, relatively easy process for under-resourced countries, for example, or for rural settings. But I mean, we're really just using it to avoid inductions that we made up the reasons you know, in the first place. I I just want to say, I, for those that don't know, I spent a year volunteering in the Solomon Islands, right? We did not have syntocin and we did not have any forms of induction. Guess how many stretch and sweeps we did? Zero, probably. Yeah, zero. You're yeah. right, zero. They weren't even a thing. And you know what? I didn't even notice they weren't a thing. Like as soon as you said low-income countries, I was like, hold up, we never did it. And then I was like, why did we never do it? Oh, because we never had to book induction. Right. but We just waited until a person who was pregnant had a baby. And do you know what? Do you know how many stillbirths I had that year from pregnancies going past 41, 42 weeks? How many? Zero. Well, because the stats on stillbirths for people going, and you'll look at on our due dates episode, which is still our most played episode, the due dates one, the risk of stillbirth for post dates beyond 41 or 42 weeks is around 11 to 16 babies in 10,000. So unless you caught 10,000 babies, hmm. only 16 of those at or the 5,000. I wouldn't have even got five. Yeah. No. And right. I didn't catch that many. So we just, it right. just didn't happen. We didn't have to worry about inductions. So we didn't have to worry about stretch and sweeps. I feel, I feel for our colleagues who have to work in this system and what it must feel like because you and I aren't in it. I'm not in it anymore. And it didn't feel good to be in it. In some places, it felt better. I've worked in amazing places. Shout out to Alice Springs MGP. That was just incredible. I've worked in places where it felt so safe to be a midwife. And I've worked in places that it didn't feel safe. And what you and I are hearing from our colleagues is it doesn't feel safe to practice anymore. And I'm seeing that come through. People talk to me about how their care providers behave. I'm like, it is a result of this. Yes. And what bother and what's bothersome too is that the well-intentioned midwives who are desperately in the system trying to rescue women from unnecessary interventions. And the well and the doctors too. There's some beautiful oh, doctors yeah. out there. But they're inspired to offer these stretch and sweeps as a way of going, well, let's see if we can rescue you from this intervention. Mm. And you know, and so it's kind of like the lesser of two evils in a way. Like they go, well, you can have the stretch and sweep or you can have the induction, neither of which are necessary, but that's what we've got to offer you. And I feel terrible for these midwives who have to make a decision between a stretch and sweep or, you know, a, an induction for this woman because they're powerless to change the trajectory that this woman are, is on. I want to say they're not powerless. You're not powerless. If you're listening to this, you're not powerless. You're actually one of the most powerful people in that person's care. And the power comes from honesty and education, right? And just shout out to all the midwives out there who are getting into trouble for recommending our podcast because we're getting the messages. We're hearing you. You're getting in trouble. The doctors are blasting you for recommending us. Other midwives are blasting you for recommending us. Keep being powerful. Keep being rebellious because this is what creates change. And you, 
And the sentence you use with the person you provide care for in your appointment may be what changes her trajectory or their trajectory. Yeah. Right. You are incredibly powerful with the words you use and the information you provide. Never underestimate your value. If you're feeling burnt out right now, please know you are one of the most valuable people in the system and never give up. Keep turning up to work. Keep doing. I know everything around those appointments is big for you, but be the person you want to be in those appointments with the doors closed. Be that rebellious midwife. We, you can change it. We can change it. We can do this together. You're not powerless. Can you tell I've had some big debriefs lately? Yeah, it's a big I've had some debrief. big one-on-one chats with people lately that's really fired me up, actually. I think I'm feeling my passion again. <laughs> yeah. So, well, okay. So that's, that's stretch and sweep. That's how a stretch and sweep is done. And it's a usual, it, it will be offered to you if you're on the trajectory for induction. One of the things that your midwife or clinician might offer you is, well, look, we could do a stretch and sweep. So I'll run you through the research on this. I've got a list of things when a stretch and sweep could be a really good idea, but I'll run through that after I sort of give you a bit of a, a rundown of the research. So uh, fortunately, Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews, our super-duper great friends there at the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews, uh, they recently did an updated review in 2020, which is pretty recent for research. And the title is Membrane Sweeping for Induction of Labour. So I already have an issue with this because obviously we just spoke about how stretch and sweeps have become necessary because we keep inducing everybody but anyway this is about stretch and sweep for induction of labor and you know the i'm scrolling down to the results here that's why they're done right they're done as the first step and they're really done to try and prevent the rest of the induction going ahead so of course that's what that's what we want evidence on we want evidence on is it a necessary or beneficial process that could potentially reduce medical induction because if it does given our current situation although I know where you are here because it's like well is the induction necessarily in the first place and what Mel and I are really thinking about is those inductions that are done simply based on gestation simply because you've reached a certain point in your pregnancy and you and your baby are well but because you're at a certain number we don't want you to be pregnant anymore, right? That's what we're talking about, which we see as unnecessary induction. Totally different if you're having an induction for a medical reason. And again, if you are, and we can avoid all those um, chemicals going into your system and managing your labor, and we can do this simple process that then enables your body or facilitates your body to go into labor. Yeah, let's research it. Let's see if it is. So is it? Is it worth doing? What does the research say? Well, and you bring up a good point. So if you're here wondering if you should have a stretch and sweep because you're booked for an induction for post-dates because you're going beyond 41 weeks, I would suggest listening to our due dates episode and the induction of labour episode that we did with Hannah Darlin to firstly make a decision about whether or not you do definitely want to be induced for post-dates. Especially if you're being quoted the ARRIVE trial. Yes. Or the recent study that's been done that's come out of Melbourne, which we haven't yet looked at. I think we've received 700 text messages about it. We just haven't got to it yet. Yeah. It's been a big couple of months for Mel and I. <laughs> but yeah, and we, hear, we love your requests, but yeah, we're not there yet. But- so I guess those three episodes go together. So if you're seriously considering induction, if you've decided, yep, I definitely feel like I need this. So Cochrane found... Their um, their finding was that membrane sweeping may be effective in achieving spontaneous onset of labour, but the evidence for this was of low certainty. So when it compared to expectant management, which means just waiting and doing nothing, stretch and sweep potentially reduces the incidence of formal induction of labour, but questions remain as to whether there is an optimal number of membrane sweeps and timing and gestation of these to facilitate induction of labour. So they looked at 44 randomised controlled studies, and of those, there were 694 women total, but the results were of low to moderate quality. 
So they gave us a beautiful table, as Cochrane always does, a grade or the level of certainty from the evidence that these stats are actually accurate was low. So we don't have very great quality information about this. But if we have a look at what the Cochrane database found, that if you have uh, your membrane swept, then, oh, hang on, we'll go back. Spontaneous onset of labour, if you just waited in their study population, so no treatment, 598 women per 1,000 went into labour without induction. And if you sweep the membranes, 723 per 1,000 went into labour versus 598. So 723 versus 598. So this is 1,000 women who were going to be induced This, if we're talking about how to interpret these findings. If they did nothing, 598 would go into labour before being induced. If you did nothing, 723 went into labour before being induced if they had uh, a stretch and sweep. So we're um, talking 5.9% versus 7 point. No, like 50, no, 598 per 1,000. 598? Yeah, so it would be like 60%. Yeah. Went into labour. 59%, yeah. Yeah, versus 72, roughly 72 or 73% went into labour before their induction date if they had an amniotic membrane sweep, stretch and sweep. So of the people who needed induction of labour, if you did no treatment, 313 per 1,000 had to have an induction versus 228 per 1,000 if they had their membranes swept. So, look, the low evidence they could find did favour that if you had a stretch and sweep, you'd be more likely to go into labour before your induction than if you didn't. But it's very hard to make solid conclusions because the the quality of the research was low. We haven't got high quality research. So yeah, I mean, that's Cochrane, which is not a bad resource. And so, you know, it's possible if you're trying, there are reasons why you might be trying to be induced. So there are some good reasons. So uncontrolled diabetes, preeclampsia, uncontrolled PIH, pregnancy-induced hypertension, that is, that can't be controlled by medication. And sometimes women with hyperemesis, man, they really would like their pregnancies to be over. Okay, medical reasons why it's safer for your baby to come out than stay in. And if you're in that circumstance, this could be an intervention that you might consider. If you think I need... Sorry, I was going to say there's social situations too. Like when I worked in Darwin, there were a lot of people whose partners were soldiers. And so they could only have their labour if they wanted their partners there for a week. And and I feel for you because I can understand for some people they want it and others they don't, but they want their partner there so they feel like they have no choice. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I guess that's the real question here, right? Like the real question here is, is your induction necessary? And is it what you want? Well, and that's the thing. I think if you've kind of gone, do you know what? I need to have my baby. I'm on board with this induction or I know that there's a health condition or social situation where my baby needs to come out soon, then you can feel really comforted by the fact that they haven't really found very many dangerous elements to a stretch and sweep in a sense that they haven't found that it increases morbidity or mortality. There is the risk that your waters might accidentally be ruptured, but Honestly, if you're having a stretch and sweep, it's because you're trying to go into labor and that could maybe chug things. 15 years, I've never accidentally broken a person's membranes ever, but I have known people who have, and I often question whether it was intentional or not. Um, But, you know, you just need to know that that's hard. If you're gentle, they don't. I mean, if they're ready to go and they get touched and they go, but Yeah. yeah, it is a risk and it's a risk that I will always explain. And then you have to understand that with that risk then carries, then that can carry flow on a risk. So if you're GBS positive and you have a stretch and sweep and someone breaks your membranes, then they're going to want to induce you. So this kind of 
then goes in with our last episode, which is pre-labor rupture of membranes, you then get put into that category. And if you don't, if the stretch and sweep doesn't encourage your labor, then you are looking at an induction within 24 hours being offered to you uh, or instantly if you're GBS positive. So it is something to really consider as a flow-on effect. But often the bigger question here is maybe trying to avoid something that you, A, don't necessarily need and or want, which is an unnecessary, a non-medically indicated induction. Yeah. And then just also think about, um, I mean, we're saying it's pretty safe, but there are a few reasons why you would absolutely not ever do a stretch and sweep on a woman. Mm -hmm. And that would be if the woman has a low-lying placenta or placenta previa. uh, And that's because you could actually accidentally shear the placenta off from its blood supply. And that's dangerous. And before we do any vaginal examination as a care provider, our first step is to check any ultrasounds to ensure there's no placenta there. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to say because this is so linked to induction of labour. You know, as me as a private clinician in 15 years of private practice have been asked four times to do a stretch and sweep, and that's for women who are approaching 42 weeks who were well and truly ready to have their babies They weren't going to accept induction of labor, which is not something I recommend for post-dates for my clients anyway, unless there's a risk, a danger to them being longer than 42 weeks. And then, you know, it's always been the woman going, well, you can do, I want you to do a stretch and sweep today. And it's like, cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, particularly women, the women I've seen it in mostly are women who would like to have a vaginal birth after cesarean section. And, you know, with these women, it, it can be a lot more risky to do an induction because there's an increased risk of rupture to the scar. And so they want to have their babies soon. They don't really want to go post-dates and they're doing a whole bunch of things to try and go into labor early. It's okay to add stretch and sweeps to your regime. You know, if you're trying to go into labor, you're probably also doing acupuncture and walking and dates and sex and all these things. So I guess I'll, at the end of the day, it's about do you truly want and feel like you need a stretch and sweep? And if you do, know that that decision is a relatively safe one in a sense that there's not a lot of documented risk if your placenta is placed away from your cervix. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if I have anything more to add to this, B. No, I think we've had a really passionate, big discussion. Yeah. I think I think other podcasts we have done are really going to help you. So if you've come to this because you're approaching 40, 41 weeks, go and listen to the due dates, go and listen to the induction to really come into your body and be able to answer the questions of what do I want here and what do I need and what am I willing to accept um, and map out your birth. Yeah. And then also know that if you do not want your clinician to put their fingers in your vagina during your pregnancy, that is a completely reasonable option. There's probably no medical benefit to them doing that if it's outside of the option of a stretch and sweep that you've consented to and that you want. And no means no and stop means stop and stop means take your fingers out of my vagina. Um, And you can say those words. Take your fingers out of my vagina now. Yes. You don't have to add the please in. Uh, consent is a uh, constantly evolving thing and you can say yes to something and then during a procedure it can not, no longer feel safe and you can say no. Uh, anytime you give permission for somebody to enter your vagina, I would be asking them first, is your plan here to do a stretch and sweep? And really understand what their agenda is what are they planning to do and getting all the information possible around what they want to do inside your body before you say yes vaginas are an incredible structure that constantly change space but if they don't feel safe they will close down and that is experienced as pain so as we briefly touched on before mel was saying Typically, and people will say these procedures don't hurt. And then as people are doing them to you, they'll say, well, this shouldn't hurt. What they are failing to recognize is that you don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so vaginas will hurt when they don't feel safe. If they feel safe, they'll be open up big and wide and say, come in, come inside, come check me out. If they don't feel safe, they'll say, go away. I don't like you, get out. And what that 
is interpreted as in our body is pain. So pain is always your beautiful body's way of communicating. And what it's trying to say to you is, this doesn't feel good, please stop it. Mm. Um, And that is what your vagina is requiring your mouth to say on behalf of it. Please stop. And that is exactly what you are communicating when you say, oh, or that hurts. What you're actually saying is, please stop. I don't like that. And as care providers, we need to have that ability to interpret that, right? These are when our body is saying no and our mouth is unable to say no for us. Um, And so if you are listening to this as a support person or a doula or a midwife, it is your role to be that person's advocate and to look out for their signs that their body is saying no. Mm. And pain is during a procedure that actually we're saying shouldn't hurt is a sign that it doesn't feel safe for them. And that's when trauma occurs. So speak up, be the person that stops the trauma and care about the person that's having something done to them more than the person that's doing something. Absolutely. Thanks, B. That was a great point to make. And I don't think we've got anything more to offer here except that if you want to look deeper into the research, there's way more papers on this in the free resource folder. So if you go to melaniethemidwife.com and sign up to the podcast mailing list, you'll get free access to all of the research that we use for every single podcast episode. If you want to go even deeper, if that's not enough, if you want to ask me a question, or if you want to talk to other clinicians or women or birth workers, then you can join the Assembly of Rebellious Midwives. But it's what we got offered for you today. And if you need more information, yeah, head to the the resource folder. And we, yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah. Bye. That was good. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, Fee, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>